Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we typically discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. As reading novelizations is a consuming task, our podcast will occasionally discuss a movie unattached to a book. However, obsessed with semantics, we have decreed that any such movie must be about books, lest we stray from our central mission. Such is the case on this fine day. Movies are nonsensical, anachronistic messes, buoyed mercifully by their ebullient energy and breakneck pace. Themselves a sequel to a very contrived film, movies strive to make their ludicrous predecessor appear cogent and straightforward by asking for such suspension of disbelief on the part of the audience as to be a complete abandonment of reality. On the flip side, movies do utilize character arcs well. Instead of retreading the arcs of the previous film, they build upon those arcs to highlight new chapters in the protagonist's lives. Movies are all about personal growth. You're a punk. You're a punk for that. <laughs> I love the movie, okay? Okay, you better, because it doesn't sound like that. Okay. National Treasure. Wait, no, I'm gonna, let me just interrupt. <laughs> Your inability to understand that I contain multitudes and can have <laughs> praise and criticism for a single item is impenetrable it's impossible to deal with um you start out and you're like this makes no sense it's shit and i'm like bro and you're like no it's good that is i'm allowed to be confused by that okay yeah that's i'm I'm continuing with the reading okay national treasure book of secrets is a 2007 action adventure film directed by john turtletaub a great dude It follows Nicolas Cage as Benjamin Franklin Gates, the treasure hunter whose life's work was validated upon the discovery of an enormous cache of riches hidden by the Freemasons during the Revolutionary War, as we saw in National Treasure 1, a National Treasure search. This piece is short-lived, however, as a mysterious man, Ed Harris, whose character has a name, I think. Yeah, but he's mysterious. (laughs) That's true. Give me that. Grant me that. That's true. Um, alleges that Gates's great-great-grandfather masterminded the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Determined to prove his ancestors' innocence, Gates reteams with Riley, Justin Bartha, the cutest boy of the world, his ex-wife, maybe girlfriend, maybe just ex-girlfriend, Abigail, Diane Kruger, mm. super charming, and his father, John Voight, a cuckoo, to locate another cache of treasure, which is somehow connected to the assassination thing. And it is. I'll explain it if you need me to. I need the explanation so badly. <laughs> okay. But will the Gates family's enemies alight upon the riches before our heroes can? And what if Thomas Gates, the ancestor, really did plot the assassination of Lincoln, not given consideration by our heroes? Because they themselves are heroes. Why would they think that? I get it. The junior novelization, which was unknown to me until it was dropped on me in this intro, of National Treasure Book of Secrets was published by Disney Press on November 6, 2007. We didn't read it. We should read it. I didn't know it existed. I also didn't know about this book. And as our listeners know, as I as I outlined in the intro, uh, I done it. <laughs> I basically chose this just because of the joke that it's about a book, which is in keeping with our our theme. But I do want to read the novelization section of the National Treasure Book of Secrets Wikipedia page, which states. Disney Press published an official novelization of the screenplay uh, on the day that the movie was released, and the example they give for how the book is different than the movie is 
For example, in the novel, Ben and Abigail photograph the wooden plank found hidden in the queen's desk and leave it behind, with the car chase following. However, in the movie, they take the plank with them on the chase. That sentence, if that's the noteworthy thing, makes me think that we dodged like a good burger situation. Where someone just watched the movie and wrote down what they saw. Um, But this next part I'm very interested in. Also published on the same day as the official novelization was a companion youth novel, Changing Tides, a Gates family mystery. There's four of those. Yeah. Do you think they're as good as The Sixth Sense continuation companion novels? I think that's impossible. The Sixth Sense sequels (laughs) are impeccable. But I do think we at some point dip our toes into the Gates family mystery series. Okay. Who is John Turtletop? John Turtletop. John. John Turtletop was born on August 8th, 1963 in New York City to comedy writer Saul Turtletop and his wife, Shirley Steinberg. Saul Turtletop was a writer primarily known for his work on the situational comedy Sanford and Son. John Turtletop is best known for his work for the Walt Disney Corporation, with whom he has had a storied career. For Disney, Turtletop has directed Cool Runnings, While You Were Sleeping, Phenomenon, Instinct, Disney's The Kid, both National Treasure films, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, and The Meg. I really hope Disney's The Kid has a novelization, by the way. Have you seen that movie? No. It's the Bruce Willis movie that came out like When We Were Kids, where he's hanging out with himself as a child who has like inexplicable inexplicably time-traveled, and then eventually him as an old man also shows up. Well, now I want to watch that movie at the very least. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, Okay, John Turtletop is married to television writer Amy Eldon. They live in Malibu, next door to Eldon's parents, with whom they share a rich relationship. Since The Meg, his most recent film, he has directed episodes of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, as well as directed an anti-Donald Trump video for the Lincoln Project in the run-up to the 2020 presidential election. While talk of a third National Treasure film is eternally flying around, it seems unclear whether it will ever materialize and whether John Turtletaub would even helm the next installment if it were to happen. (laughs) Joining us today is a costume technician based out of L.A., a good friend of mine, Annie Ulrich. Annie, I just want to start off by asking... What, if any, relationship did you have to the National Treasure movies before deciding to come onto this podcast? Uh, I love them, first of all. They're maybe Nicolas Cage's finest work, in my opinion. Well, okay, I I have not seen Book of Secrets that many times, but I have seen the first movie several times over the years since it was released in, what, early 2000s? Um, Yeah, yeah. I love me a good uh, implausible history action movie. (laughs) Also enjoyed The Da Vinci Code in that very specific category. Now, uh, The Da Vinci Code movies predate these movies, right? Mm, I don't think so. They must fall sort of right in the middle. I feel like National Treasure, Da Vinci Code, Book of Secrets, Angels and Demons. There's been much made of how bad Tom Hanks' hair is in The Da Vinci Code. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It, it was from that era of, like, hair that's not the right length. <laughs> yeah, Nicolas Cage does not look good with the amount of hair he has in National Treasure 2. That's exactly what I was going to say, Hannah, is <laughs> it made me wonder if, like, one of the movies 
was aping the other. If treasure was <laughs> aping code or code was aping treasure. Because they look bad in, like, the same way. <laughs> da Vinci Code, the movie, came out in 2006. So National Treasure 1 was definitely first. Yeah, but maybe they were like, what if we made and Nicolas the- Cage look more like Tom Hanks in the second part? That'll give him more credibility right. as a historian. <laughs> <laughs> the book the book was released in 2003, so. Sure, I mean, the book is what I've been calling this movie for the past day, so that did confuse <laughs> me for just a moment. Right, the Book of Secrets. The yeah, absolutely. well-known like- President's Book of Secrets. I was terrified having chosen this movie ha- and not having seen it. I was like, because <laughs> oh. I'd only seen the first National Treasure um, and I think never seen this. At no point during this movie was I like, oh, right. Everything was like, that seems completely disconnected from the rest of the plot. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters. Like, I have a memory of watching Book of Secrets in theaters. It's Okay, so the the whole thing about the book thing... I was terrified when I chose it that it would end up being a spiral from the Book of Saw situation (laughs) where there's no actual book and it's just part of the title. Oh, baby, there are multiple books. It takes a while for the book to show up, though. So if you were watching, having not read anything beforehand, I can imagine you going like, oh, God, oh, God, we're an hour in and there's still no book. (laughs) No, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like. Where's the book? Is this a turn of phrase? I hate turns of phrase. And then the book shows up and the whole fucking thing's about the book. And presumably, from the way the movie ends, the entire National Treasure 3 is also about the book. Yeah. Did you guys pick up on this like very subtle cliffhanger that this movie had? Oh, oh, the like page 47 like what's on did you did you look at page 47 they never make a national treasure three and they never answer that question i need john total top to like write a message i'd be like here's the deal (laughs) it's 2080 i'm on my deathbed here's what happens on page 47 of the book of secrets i need to know the the thing i love about the structure of the plot of these movies so just for the listener, I'm assuming you've probably seen National Treasures 1 and 2, but like in the second movie, the Book of Secrets, the president's book, has a page in it that seems to allude to the Kennedy assassination from the brief look that we get at it. I and don't think that's page 47, though. I just mean the president basically says, yeah, go look at my book. That's fine. And just check out page 64. Like there's something interesting there. Nicholas Cage looks at it. He specifically says, "Do me a favor." Yes. He's like, he like makes meaningful eye contact and is like, "Do me this favor. Look at page 40. Yeah, and it's Bruce Greenwood, so you can't say no to him. <laughs> He's You're like, the perfect I should, president. <laughs> I should probably look at that page. He looks at the page number, which we fundamentally, Annie, disagree on what page it is. But it's I think 47. we can move past it. It's not you are 64. Wrong. It's 47. Oh man! They show the page number, and then he takes a picture of the page number for his own future reference. Wow! So he can work on it. I thought. I thought. I, what I think we almost disagreed on, or what we thought we were disagreeing on, was that the JFK assassination was on page 47. Which it's not. 47 is a separate mystery. Annie, we okay. agree on that, right? That's, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the JFK thing is just in there as a joke of, like, Riley being like, I want to find out about JFK. All the conspiracies are true, and he's like, can I learn the truth? Oh. And they're like, no, we're busy. All right, well, then I've just completely misunderstood. <laughs> I thought... 
I thought that there was something about the JFK assassination that was going to be the plot of the third movie. And because of the way this dumb series that I like works, they were going to have to be like, we're hunting down the real JFK killer who was looking for a city made of sapphire. Because <laughs> it can never just be like, I'm, I'm solving a historical mystery. It also... Always has to be, and there's a giant and amount hunters. of treasure yeah, involved. It must be a national treasure. That's, yeah, exactly. That's a great point, Annie. The, the title has really, like, pigeonholed them. I mean, look, if you want to solve the JFK assassination, the true national treasure is the security in our country that we would all have again. But maybe that's not concrete enough for this franchise. I understand it. Hannah, now's... You mean they won't? Except they, the answer was inside you yeah, this whole time. That's kind, kind of, of not the kind of treasure they mean. <laughs> right. Um, Hannah, before I grill you on what exactly the plot of this movie is, because I don't get it, Yeah. what is your relationship to the <laughs> National Treasure movies? Big fan, have seen them a bunch, big like them. Um, I <laughs> my, my book of secret story that I do want to just gently share here is I grew up in Northern Virginia near Mount Vernon. And when this movie came out, Mount Vernon was like, come to Mount Vernon, Book of Secrets. It happened here. We have secrets. <laughs> Big exciting secrets tour. So one day my dad and I were like, you know, let, why not? Let's go, do, let's go do Mount Vernon for fun. And while we're there, like, I don't know, we'll do the Book of Secrets tour. Ha ha, how funny. Um, and the Book of Secrets tour was a normal tour of the house with a little bit like, did you know that George Washington ran a spy ring? That's fun, huh? <laughs> we were like, yeah, that is fun. And then they took us down into the basement where Ben Gates and the president go into that little hole. Yeah. And they were like, here is the place where they say there is a hole in the movie. And we were like, is there a hole? And they were like, no, there is not a hole. <laughs> and we were like, is there anything down here? And they were like, just a wine cellar. Okay, back upstairs. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I always think of that very fondly as a, a fun memory with my dad where we came out of the like basement stairs. We were like, I was really hoping we'd get to crawl through a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Ben Gates' plan to kidnap the president hinges on some knowledge he seems to have that the president's a little bit of like a wannabe adventurer. Well, also, he hasn't like vetted this basement chamber before this <laughs> night. Has no, he? like they solved that puzzle together. Like, yeah, like he's finding out everything about this situation as the president is, which seems like a really rough bet to take on kind of kidnapping a president. And when the president says like, I majored in something that helps this puzzle situation, Ben Gates is like, I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, it's it's something that's like delightful. Like guys like that don't end up being president, but it's very charming. We love it. Um, and it really feels like, did Ben Gates not do his homework? Or did he? Did he do too much homework? I had the same thought. Imagine <laughs> a world where we have an art history majoring president. Like, really beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful thought. <laughs> Maybe not the Yale educated part. We've had enough of those. <laughs> the plan hinges on him walking up to the president and going, hey, it's crazy. There allegedly is there's this tunnel underneath us right now. And then the president picking up what he's put down and going, you think we could go there right now <laughs> together, you and me? And then like excusing the Secret Service agent, which really means that he 
knows something about this guy. Because a middle-aged politician, you do that to a random middle-aged politician, he's either going to be like, how interesting, but I'm not about to go look, or I literally don't (laughs) care at all. You know, we don't know a lot about this president. He could be like a fun bachelor who's like, yeah, let's go hang out in a basement. Cool. Like, who knows what his deal is? I feel like that's why the the art history thing is in there, though. For sure. like, interested in history, which is apparently enough to be like, hello, man, I have heard of. I will go into this basement with you (laughs) and dismiss my Secret Service agent while we root around in a wine cellar. (laughs) It's kind of a beautiful bro moment. I love the, the, (laughs) the relationship between Ben Gates and the president and how it's like, I'm the president. I basically have to ruin your life. Also, I hope you win and find the city of gold. (laughs) (laughs) I think at any moment, the president could say, like, pardoned. That's not a crime. It's fine. Right. And he just chooses not to because of the Book of Secrets, I guess. Okay, you're looking at it that way. He just couldn't. I mean, he says, like, because I've told you about the Book of Secrets, no one can ever know why you kidnapped me, because we can't be honest about that. So you're going to have to go to jail instead of saying, so I guess we have to lie about it. Right. But then at the very end, when he could, in theory, be getting like he's brought to the president as a arrested man. (laughs) And the president's just like, well, you're just hanging out in the wine. (laughs) Just say that. Like, like. I, uh, there was no problem. We got stuck in the wine cellar and he saved me. Instead, he initiated a manhunt. <laughs> and then later on was like, I don't know why everybody was so upset. <laughs> I think that if I was a citizen in the world of national treasure and my president was like, I got kidnapped. No, just kidding. I'd be like, greatest guy in the world. I love him. I'm voting for him again. <laughs> he seems really cool. That guy's official platform as a presidential candidate was no harm, no foul. <laughs> I mean, I do really love when, like, Ben meets back up with Riley and Abigail. They're like, what was the president like? How did he take being kidnapped? And Meg Gates is just like, he was okay. He was cool with it. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a delight, a delightful little moment to me. So, obviously, we've jumped to the end of this movie because it's it's a delightful aspect. Look, we covered the book first. And it's the... (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. And it's the... um, sort of crux of these movies is whatever line of intent Nicolas Cage says that just sounds absolutely ludicrous. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to kidnap the President of the United States. Like, I can't even imagine what another one of these movies, what they would come up with. It feels like they hit the big two. I'm going to marry the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) That could be a good one. Um, But jumping back to the beginning of the movie, One thing I love about this sequel that I sort of hinted at in the beginning is there's such continuity between them. It's not one of those sequels where they're like, he fell in love in the first movie, that woman is gone. Like, yes, they have fallen out of love or they're having trouble, but she's around. His sidekick, Riley, is around. John Voight comes back. Harvey Keitel comes back. They should have had him... Hannibal Lecter style visit Sean Bean in prison (laughs) from the first movie to be like as a person who sucks what can you tell me about other guys who suck or whatever that would have been amazing (laughs) but I really like that they have all these characters back and that the characters for the most part get to do new things 
Like they're uh, John Voight, for example. I think the the clearest example of this is in the first movie. He's like, I don't believe in fun. Nothing fun is true. Facts are facts. And then Nicolas Cage is fully like pills him, like makes him a QAnon guy at the be- at the end of National Treasure One. And in National Treasure Two, John Voight's just like talking to his wife, just being like, Every conspiracy is real. I got convinced. <laughs> I'm going to swing on this rope vine across a gaping chasm and maybe die. <laughs> but I think that's I think it's really rare for like a mid 2000s movie to have the same characters back with completely new character arcs. And it felt fresh and it it made it really engaging for me. I can't wait for National Treasure 3 where they're all like married and happy and stuff. <laughs> I appreciated I was actually so taking a more critical watch, knowing that we were going to have this conversation, I was trying to keep count of the number of, like, really lovely tropes in it, a.k.a., like, introduction of mom. Like, I I didn't really peg it until this movie, but, like, man, it's really satisfying when there's, like, only a dad, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's, we should talk to mom. And you're like, (gasps) there was a mom a mom. (laughs) I thought this was one of those people that only had a biological dad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly and the and the um the we like each other we broke up and now we like are kind of mad at each other but we're allied and like trying to make it work and like working out our problems well obviously that trope exists in a lot of ways but the like we were once together element of it i just think is excellent i like how they handle that relationship because you always get the sense that they still like each other they just have like some problems living together and they figure those things out and they talk them out very explicitly, <laughs> which is good relationship stuff. Good for them. It's nice that they're not just like, we fight, we fight. Nope, we kiss. It's fine. Like they really like discuss like, here's how I need you to treat me so that we can feel like equals in this relationship. And I was like, yes, I love that. It's a good way for the movie to sort of have its cake and eat it too, because they obviously want to recreate the tension of these people aren't together, should they be. But they don't totally rehash it by having him, like, fall in love with somebody new. It's in the context of a relationship. Now we're trying to do love when we have history. It It's the one thing they can't do in the third movie. They can't in the third <laughs> no, movie. No, they just have to be together. Be like, we got married, then they we got divorced. They can't have yeah. broken up a third time. <laughs> yeah. I hope that that plot line moves onto Riley and his girlfriend, where he's like, yeah, I had a whole relationship, and then we broke up, and now we got to get back together over the course of this film. He deserves it. I fell in love with uh, Stephanie Kennedy, and uh, now <laughs> that's the link to the third movie. <laughs> What would make me sad in a hypothetical third movie is if they'd pull a Ocean's 13 where they're like, where's Tess and uh, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones' right. character? And they're just like, it's not their problem. <laughs> like, they're not in the movie. Like, Diane Kruger is happy to make, like, mid-range fair, so I'm sure she'd be on board. I'm sure she's in. So I just watched National Treasure 1, which I'd seen before, but I watched it for the first time in over a decade the other day. What is going on with Diane Kruger's nationality? <laughs> She's German and she lives and works in America. And is she actually German? Wikipedia says she is both German and American. Hmm. So I don't know if that's... Uh, let's well, you don't see. have to be born here to be American. It's the melting pot 
baby. That's the whole point. She was born in Germany. Uh, daughter of computer specialist Hans Heinrich Heidkruger and his wife Maria Teresa, a bank employee. <laughs> I brought up Roman Catholic. I love Wikipedia uh, biographies. They they always get, put way too much info about the parents. He was born of someone that enjoyed doing his taxes. It's like, okay. Glad you found that detail in an interview someplace. Yeah, exactly. Um, Justin Bartha. Let's get right down to it. The This film series clarified to me that the Hangover trilogies was like a hate crime. The fact that... The, it's criminal. These, yeah, he should... These movies were so, or those movies rather, the Hangover films were so hell bent on being like, these people are funny, except this guy. Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, which is so unfair. Accurate. He's funny and charming. And I also feel like after the first one, where they're like, reveal, it was Justin Bartha the whole time. And you're like, oh, we love him in National Treasure. Hangover 2 is like, he's not in the movie again. Yeah. You're like, come on, guys, like, include him. We don't want him involved at all. <laughs> We're going to do whatever it takes to get him out of this movie. He is so charming in National Treasures 1 and 2. I just adore him. When I saw uh, The Hangover, I thought, oh, that must be a non-comedic actor who's in this movie and just didn't have the chops to keep up with these other guys. But not at all. And not only is he funny, he he is a fourth flavor. He's not like, you know, he's not a lateral move from any of the other three Hangover guys. Yeah, let him be in the movie. I mean, I think we'll never have another Hangover, thank God. But if I was going to make a Hangover four question yeah. mark, I would be like, the lead is Justin Bartha. He's the guy, and the other guys are missing, and it's the whole movie is him. Hangover two already felt like it had jumped the shark. I didn't even watch Hangover three because like they got drugged and woke up the next morning not remembering anything again. <laughs> are you kidding? But like, if the fourth movie were all of them went missing, and now it's just a whole new group trying to piece things together, I yeah, I would 100% be on board. I feel like we're maybe four years away from that. Yeah. <laughs> of like a new group of guys being like, we lost our old dude friends. Like, feels very close. And Justin Barth is like, I'm part of it now. I also feel like Hollywood nope. has just become people like eating their words now. And Todd <laughs> Phillips has said so much about how he can't do comedy anymore because of like, cancel culture and stuff that it almost feels inevitable that he just will and he'll just be a giant hypocrite because that's what's like happening to everyone now is you're being like no i would never reboot that it's rebooting <laughs> we love money i want to buy a boat oops yeah. i mean the fresh the fresh prince is now a new rebooted series except it's like the dark right reboot isn't it just called bel air and it yeah yes and uh and it also it Speaking of eating your words, the concept came out of someone making a joke trailer of like, ah, what if no. Prince was a gritty reboot? I remember that happening. I didn't realize that. That's crazy. No, they made they made the trailer and like 10 years later, they're like, it's happening. This is the thing. Like, <laughs> Maybe if not we then. all make fun of a thing too much, production companies are like, oh, people want that. They're into it. They're engaged with they're it. They're talking Let's about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. We're like cursing ourselves doing this. Well, so I was, I have a question for you, Andrew, mm -hmm. because 
it felt like convenient timing that you were talking about that you picked National Treasure Book of Secrets when there is a Nicolas Cage movie coming out where Nicolas Cage plays himself. <laughs> In my defense, there's always a Nicolas Cage movie coming out. I had Cage on the brain. Uh, I, I'm America's number one pig head. I love the movie Pig. Uh, and, you know, so I, I've been thinking about Cage and wa- rewatching all his movies in the last, like, six months. We just did an episode with Keith Phipps, who is writing the Nicolas Cage book that's coming out in a month or two. And I also thought when we were putting this episode together, I was like, oh, I made a guy who wrote a Nicolas Cage book read a whole book to come on my podcast. And then like right afterward, I just did a Nicolas Cage movie <laughs> without a book. Hopefully he doesn't hear about it. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I... I uh, Nicolas Cage is inescapable. He does so many movies. He's all over the place like people who say he's terrible are right people who say he's amazing are right like he is just seven different people um <laughs> and so yeah i'm just always thinking about him and i thought to myself hey a book movie that i hadn't seen you know a movie with book in the title that's got my my man mr pig in it like i had to do it <laughs> hannah get us back onto the movie a little you teased uh, this okay i there's oh Oh, you go. There's a there's a second book in the Book of Secrets movie that I think will help us get into your deep confusion over the plot. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to ask you about to explain the plot yeah. to me. And that second book is the Diary of John Wilkes Booth, which opens the film. Yes, he has his little notes about the treasure. Okay, and he goes to Thomas Gates and is like, can you figure out this code? We're trying to find a treasure. And Thomas Gates is like, no, I don't believe in your cause. I'm a good guy. And then he gets killed and John Wilkes Booth goes on to kill the president and then die in a barn. Um, And America is saved, right? So that's what's happening in the past. I understand that that happened, but already there are events that I don't understand how they're connected. Okay, so... The, the main part is there's this mythical American treasure. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the Civil War, part of the problem was that the Confederacy ran out of money and could not fund the continuation of the war. And John Wilkes Booth very much was like, all we got to do is get the Confederacy back on its feet and give them something to rally around. And then we'll be back in business, you know? And he thought, like, I'll kill the president and that will remove half the issues of why we're having a war. This guy sucks. We'll kill him. We'll all be like, yay, back to slavery, you know, like bad, bad stuff. So that's what he did. And so what this movie is presupposing is that he also was like, I can solve the financial crisis by finding a bunch of Native American gold and handing it over to the Confederacy. And the next thing you know, pow, pow, we're back in slavery town. Right. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So (laughs) he has this code... And he can't solve it because he is but a mere actor, takes it to noted puzzle solver, Thomas Gates. Code breaker? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then our plot in the present starts when Ed Harris shows up and is like, your family didn't stop anything. They started it. He's in, his name was in Wilkes' book, clearly a conspirator. And when we know he was just like a reference, like, I got to go talk to this guy. Right. Right. And then Ben Gates is like, I got to save my family name. I honestly really thought that Ed Harris, whose last name is Wilkinson, 
I really thought his reveal was going to be, I'm a, I'm a Wilkes booth. Right, right. <laughs> I'm trying to save my ancestor. Um, but no, that's not the case. So then they go on a treasure hunt. Okay, I, I'm, I'm ready to start asking questions. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is, why hand the book over to be decoded and then immediately head out to do the assassination? Bad timing, probably. When can we meet up with Thomas Gates? Are you free on Tuesday? Ah, oh no. Oh shoot. He's also with like it's 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 Wilkes Booth and this other guy who I'm sure they name he introduces himself and I can't remember his name, but it's like it felt to me like Booth is like, okay, I'm gonna go do the president, you're gonna get the code, then we're gonna we're gonna meet back up with a dead president and a map to the treasure. Then we'll ride off to the treasure. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. That's at least that's how I read it. I mean, that's not explicitly said. He does just like while the book is being decoded, he's like, I'll be back in a little bit. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> in a very which which what a what a confident farewell of like, I am gonna go assassinate the president, BRB. It's definitely gonna go perfectly smooth. Next thing you know, we will be living in a new world. See you in 20. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he does have, he does really do it with the energy of like, I got to drop the kids off. I mean, <laughs> yes. which is amazing. I, in that opening <laughs> sequence, I was like, should I watch every movie where John Wilkes Booth is a character? I am like fascinated <laughs> by like film portrayals of that guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe that's something I should dig into. May I suggest you start with Zoolander as your first stop. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a perfect one. And I have to say, like, from my own already a person who watches movies, Ridiculous Six, a terrible Adam Sandler movie, has, like, one amazing scene with Chris Kattan as John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> <laughs> Is that supposed to be a, like, Magnificent Seven joke yes yeah the, the, the rest like this not good don't bother <laughs> i mean I, I, of course i'm like the number one sandler defender but i <laughs> i will say that ridiculous as a choice for that name isn't funny because it's it's a word that calls attention to itself as being like isn't this funny it'd be it'd be much funnier what's a good word i mean i don't want i don't want the title of a movie to be like funny movie is my point. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, don't want, you don't want them to give it away too soon? And then, to be honest, it's not a very funny movie. Right. Well, they didn't call mm. it The Funny Six, and I do applaud them. <laughs> um, okay, my second question about the plot is, why would they go to Thomas Gates to get this decoded when Artemis Gordon was a friend of Booth's? <laughs> Probably because Artemis Gordon was too smart and he would have figured out the plot too soon and ruined everything. Thomas Gates doesn't figure it out until it's too late. Yes, true. Asked and answered. You're welcome. What is Ed Harris's deal? Uh, fame in history. That, like, literally his whole character arc is, I don't want my family name to, like, die in obscurity. So I'm going to, so I'm going to, like, antagonize a guy stalk him threaten everybody he loves and almost murder him in a tomb but then do a, a good thing in the end so i guess we're kind of like feeling warm and fuzzy about the fact that he died instead of like so walk me through what what his story is start to finish he's who and he's antagonizing cage to get 
what he wants, why? He's a guy who also has a family who traces back to the beginnings of American history. But he's not like a famous family, but he thinks they should be. So he shows up and is like, you don't get historical recognition for being a hero. When I have evidence that your great whatever was not a hero, he was a killer. And there you go. Now, I, my family gets to be heroic and good and your family bad. Then Ben Gates is like, I'm going to not let that happen. And Ed Harris is like, I'm going to not let you not let that happen. Is that right? <laughs> then he realizes there's treasure. And he's like, if I discover the treasure, I go down in history and that's good. Mm-hmm. Right? No, I, I, think, I think it was 100% him being like, if I get him riled up, and wanting to defend his family name, he's going to lead me to the trip. Like, eventually, mm-hmm. he's going to figure out that there is a treasure that he needs to get to it to clear his family name. And in the meantime, I'm going to swoop in and take the credit, and then my family name gets to be famous. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. Instead, right. slash alongside. I mean, it's definitely towards the end, it gets muddy because he's like, I want nothing more than to find this treasure and to become famous. I'm willing to kill people to do it. And then, and then kind of with no (laughs) prompting other than like a very pressing threat, he's like, actually, no, I'll say I will sacrifice myself to save everybody. But you got to promise. Promise that you tell them that I helped (laughs) and I will die horrifically in a tomb happy. And then they excavate the tomb, so I assume they find his body. They do, and I was honestly waiting. I, like, couldn't remember when we got to that part. I'm like, do they mention finding the body? They do not. They just, like, are, like, happily sipping out of disposable cups <laughs> on a hillside looking at the, As it, at the excavation site, and they're like, everything really did work out okay, didn't it? As we got to the excavation part, I was like, this is a Disney movie. Are they going to do that thing where they like open a door and he's like, woof, thank God you found me. I'm okay. (laughs) No. If he isn't a Wilkes Booth, Mm. who is he? He's just a Wilkinson. He's just a guy. Yeah. He says says his family fought on the side of the Confederacy, though. I think that's like really all the backstory we get is that his family was connected to the like, that's why he has the diary pages, Mm -hmm. because like somehow his great grandfather got them. I mean, I think it's a miracle of the movie that when you're watching it, you don't really question this stuff or I did it. I'm just like (laughs) along for the ride. And I'm like, yeah, of course, this guy is going to show up and cause trouble with our heroes. Like he seems like a troublemaker. I don't feel like I need the reality of a world to make a ton of sense. (laughs) I just need to understand the ABC of the events that are presented. And I was just having a lot of trouble connecting Lincoln assassination to City of Gold. That was like really, those seemed like two completely unrelated things to me that were being like conflated. I was having Shanghai Knights syndrome. Where, you know, Shanghai Knights, the two villains are like, we want totally different things, but we work together. And I was like, why? Well, I hope that I helped answer part of the question why they might want a lot of gold. Right. Yeah, there was a a funny thing I saw online because I was like reading about how this fits or rather doesn't fit in with actual history. (laughs) Somebody was like, can you imagine if the U.S. government sat on this city of gold during the Great Depression? Like, what the fuck? No, we want to save it for a real emergency. (laughs) 
I think we must simply acknowledge that it takes a lot of teamwork and effort to actually discover the city of gold. Like, it's not like the president could pop open the desk and be like, here's a map to the city of gold. Let's go get some money. And also, who do they say discovers the thing in the desk? Coolidge? It was someone where I was like, oh, that's a kind of a surprising choice. You think they'd be like, FDR, we love him. <laughs> you kind of pick a like, you know, yeah, out of left no, field Calvin, presidential Calvin Coolidge. Pick. Rock and roll. Good for yep. him. They want to they wanna give him a little boost after the, like, you know, being president when the economy went to hell. <laughs> the wooden... Uh, also, can we, can we swear on this podcast? I just yeah, yeah, of course. Said it's that. funny, okay, uh, Annie, just in case we did swear, we mark every episode as explicit. And so we end up having episodes that are like, the Rugrats movie, explicit. <laughs> <laughs> With the, the piece of wood leads to my favorite line in the movie, which is when they're driving down the 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 road, the bridge, and Nicolas Cage throws the piece of wood out the window into the river, causing Ed Harris to pull over, and the guy jumps in the river and gets it. The guy goes, what is it? And Ed Harris goes, I don't know, but we have it now. <laughs> it's like, it's, yep. He's saying it like in like a villainous way, but... It's so clear that he is, like, really behind the ball in this whole plot. (laughs) Yeah, like, honestly, Annie, like, you clarifying that he's literally like, well, I'll just get this guy to solve the thing for me, which is so true. You absolutely nailed it. Like, at every moment, he's like, I don't know what's happening, but whatever he's doing, we'll do it, too. And then there's Mm -hmm. that great point where he, like, at some point, they're like, well, what do we do next? And he's like, I don't know, like... Let Ben Gates figure it out. Like, he literally says, like, I'm not going to solve the puzzle. Ben will solve the puzzle. <laughs> Let's keep bugging his phone and figuring out where he's going. And we're just going to we're going to go from there. We'll it's just a good show starting up point. and then we'll point a gun at him and then we'll get everything we want. <laughs> it is weird that he never goes full kidnapping because it feels like <laughs> he does. He kidnaps he does. his mom. He, he kidnaps Helen yeah. Mirren. Oh, yeah. But it just feels like in the first movie, Sean Bean <laughs> is at the end he's like i need you to solve puzzles for me so what are the puzzles tell me the answers to the puzzles and that's how they trick him in the first movie is because mm-hmm. uh Har- not harvey can tell john voight is like oh the lantern you know the whole thing with boston he's like uh, you know there mm-hmm. uh, then paul revere the lantern yeah just the do if i see some of the best <laughs> bullshitting i've ever heard and like <laughs> and uh sean bean is relying on him so much that they're able to use that to their advantage. In the second movie, Ed Harris is doing the exact same thing, except instead of like just getting Nicolas Cage at gunpoint and being like, do it all for me, he just keeps showing up and being like, <laughs> what did you just learn? Sorry, could you repeat that? It is funny too how he he has been holding on to like the secret missing information that we all, that is funny that he drops that at the end because you're like, oh, we were, we were missing information. <laughs> Wait, to to which information do you refer? So when he has Mrs. Gates or Mrs. X Gates mm-hmm. in her office, he says, I have this piece of wood. Tell me what it says. Also, I have the papers that are going to get us past the, like, over the finish line once you decode this piece right, of wood. Right, 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 right. And I don't, I don't really know how he knows that, like, that's the last step right i don't know that these screenwriters like know. it very well could have been like <laughs> yeah like the wood's gonna take us to the place 
where there might be another clue and then three more clues and then the papers come back to being relevant but it's you know it's yeah, yeah. It, I don't it's definitely a plot what's in the papers yes like i remember that it's like a letter from queen victoria to his like great great confederate grandfather and then beyond that i'm like i don't know what it says at all it was it was the um uh uh the path will reveal itself when the, like on a cloudless when mm-hmm. a cloudless rain falls it sounds and, a lot and like, like when victoria yeah Uh huh. And they wet the rocks. And then the second, the second line is like reach into the like heart of the warrior. Why would she know that? And like grasp, grasp victory. And it's the they make the uh, the Roman holiday. These movies are a lot like the Mission Impossible sequels in that (laughs) I watch them. And I'm like, wow, what a fun ride. Now he has to do this. Now he has to scale a building. And then like right after the movie ends. I'm incapable of telling you why one event led to another. I'm very happy to help you with Mission Impossible. I can hold your hand through those forever. <laughs> yes. It's my joy and pleasure and honor. I appreciate that. Yeah, someday, someday, <laughs> Hannah, I'll have you just watch Mission Impossible 2 with me and explain what's happening. I mean, my pleasure. Mission Impossible 2, a lot of what's happening in that movie is horniness. Yes. And you just kind of have to admit that that's part of the plot dynamic of that movie. It's like everyone's a little too horny. The last time I rewatched... Mission Impossible, I watched all of them in full except two where I only watched the mask gag at the end, which is the best one in the whole series. It's exactly. Agree. Huge agree. I, I want to talk a little bit about National Treasure 1, which I hadn't watched in over 10 years. Um, I Then I have some questions about some of the puzzle stuff at the end of National Treasure 2. Yeah, I love that. We're not, uh, you know, whatever. We're, we're all over we're not the place. Done. We're not done. But <laughs> In National Treasure 1, I just love some of the writing. So in the scene at the end that I was talking about where Sean Bean gets tricked, there's a bit of writing Mm -hmm. that's actually very savvy where, like, he's going to leave them for dead. And (laughs) Nicolas Cage or John Voight is like, what? No, take us with you. What if we just lied to you? And they're like, I don't... (laughs) Which they did. Which they did. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I... I don't know, I'll come back or whatever. And they're like... No, he he menacingly raises his gun and goes, Did yes. you? <laughs> and, and then Nicolas John. Cage goes, what if there's another clue? And then he goes, well, I'll just come back to where I kept you locked in this room and it'll be very convenient right. for me. So the thing is that like in putting in what if I lied to you, the movie is presenting that possibility to the audience, which psychologically discounts that possibility to the audience because we are not used to things being presented to us like that and then just being true as stated. (laughs) And so it is actually shocking to me that they do that misdirect at the end because the movie goes out of its way to be like, couldn't we have easily misdirected you here? I just thought it was like insanely clever and I think a lot of that first movie even though its plot is kind of nonsensical, is like very smart adventure stuff that makes the audience feel smart as well. Yeah, and it's Mm -hmm. like fun history. And I think that what's great in the first one particularly is that they're doing historical stuff where they're like, you remember the Declaration of Independence, right, audience? And you're like, I do, I do remember (laughs) that. And they're like, did you know this thing about it? You're like, I did know that thing. And they're like, okay, but did you know this thing? And you're like, oh, I didn't know that thing. (laughs) And you like get to have fun... Like, if you're, like me, a person who has, like, 
spent too much time with American history. Like there is a lot of fun being like, ooh, is that true? That is true. That's not true. That's fun. This is a fun adventure. Like um, it rocks. <laughs> I think they're really, really smart about the way that they engage with history and the sort of like game you get to play with these movies. I agree with you. In that, but yeah, there's always a but. We can never agree on anything. Um, I agree that it appeals to like the seventh grade civics inside us all because <laughs> they're Disney movies. We, I mean, we like, were all yeah. forced to like learn certain facts as Americans, and they just stick in you because we learn them at an impressionable age. But as someone who knows about U.S. history, or at least just claimed to. <laughs> if you actually have any like proficient knowledge does it bug the hell out of you that these must have glaring inconsistencies i mean i no? i feel like they're pretty <laughs> they're pretty good i feel like they're I think pretty they're... smart too about like they the way they mix fact and fiction like yes there is this wine cellar in the, the Was- mount washington or mount vernon mm-hmm. in book of secrets but no, there's not this like shield crest <laughs> thing on the wall where you turn where you turn an arrowhead and a secret passageway reveals itself. Like all of the places are real, all the people mentioned are real, like all of the dot primary documents are real. It's just like, yeah, but no, the the pipe is not like a turn pu- turning puzzle that you can turn into a key. Like or like the glasses in the first movie, like those mm-hmm. particular glasses did not exist. But Benjamin Franklin did invent glasses that did shit like that, kind of for fun. Oh, we've sent Andrew away. It hurts to be right, wrong sometimes. Couldn't handle it. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to avoid the thing where somebody comes home and the dog goes crazy. It's a, so the thing I was thinking of is that uh, I wasn't even looking for inconsistencies. And just in reading about this stuff online, there were a lot of people who were mad about like the Resolute desk. That ship wasn't even <laughs> retired by the time the clue that like points to the resolute desk was generated if that makes sense like basically there there's just I, a lot of time that travel. is that is a level of history <laughs> that's a level of history knowledge that maybe the maybe these movies aren't i feel for you. like you're also you're maybe someone who's already inclined to be a little persnickety about details in a way that makes things yeah. less fun for, that's another one of the things we're like the mix of fact and fiction where like these desks exist there's a matched set like they're one of them's in the white house like there's also a bunch of other resolute desks that are, don't look like that but like we're made out of the they're same quadruplets look, um, i'm i'm on your side guys i i agree that it's no fun to be nitpicking stuff like this but it is interesting to consider that the only reason it works is because everyone who's alive at the time is dead because if we time traveled into the future and there was a national treasure movie that was like when the financial market crashed this guy killed himself and he wrote a note saying the berlin wall will fall i do wonder i do think because like the first national treasure is about revolutionary war stuff mm-hmm. and the second national treasure is ostensibly about civil war stuff what's national maybe that's why national treasure 3 has like totally ground to a halt is like we don't know what other war would be acceptable to find a national treasure in Mm -hmm. like once you hit the world wars it's like then it stops being an american treasure it has to be a european treasure kind of like we've stopped having wars on american soil pretty much Mm. you don't necessarily need to do it chronologically the french and indian right (laughs) 
I was going to say you could yeah. do like the War of 1812 or some shit. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge War of 1812 fan. <laughs> I'm going to grill you on all this stuff sometime because you're claiming <laughs> to be like really great with history. I mean, I'm not. I have my specific areas of interest okay. that I know a lot about. Okay. And I am interested. When in was the War that. of 1812? 1812 to 1815. Okay, she's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that checks, checks out. out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> impressive. Who, who can pull that out? <laughs> it is sad to think that if there were a third National Treasure movie, it would likely be Kaitellis and Voitless. Yeah. They're so I integral. I don't think that Kaitel or Voigt are integral. Oh, fuck. Like, Voigt more so, because the, like, dad-son relationship is pretty important. And I do really like a National Treasure 2, and John Voigt's like, when are you going to move out of my house? All this junk stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's like, I'm working on it. Like, I, I like that a lot. Um, Harvey Keitel, I had totally forgotten, was in these movies at all right. when I rewatched Book of Secrets. So I'm not sure he's that. I like him. Don't think he's that important. It's really like Nick Cage, Diane Kruger, Justin Bartha, for me, are like the trio. And if you're missing one of them, then it's not going to be quite right. Right. It is weird that Kaitel plays a character that is like not scummy in any way. <laughs> he looks very <laughs> scummy. Oh, he does. He has like a little too much hair and a little like facial hair that's like a little off. The Well, in the first one, in the first one, he's definitely like co-antagonist until the very end. Mm-hmm. Like... Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage is getting it from from the cops and from this you know criminal at the same time, and then they ally at the end, and you get the satisfying like, oh wow, he is a reasonable cop. Cool. <laughs> I've brought this up before, but Kaitel, like Hollywood, has just conditioned me to believe that he'll always do a villain turn, and almost every other <laughs> actor that plays villains a lot, like Ed Harris, will have a movie. Where it's like, oh, actually, he's, like, nice in this one. Crazy. But, like, Kaitel is almost <laughs> always a scumbag from the beginning. Or he's a guy who seems okay who goes full scumbag. And it's like, I just <laughs> couldn't deal with the fact that the other shoe never dropped in these. I did. I do appreciate his presence in Book of Secrets as the, like, huh, I'm a good enough agent to be, like, there's something going on with this revealing the Gates family scandal and that this guy who did the revealing must have a motive. And he like fully just starts investigating it and like is not too far behind on the trail of all of that. And is just sort of like calmly and methodically like, I don't know what's going on with these guys. Something's going on. Going to find out what not going to jump to any conclusions. Yeah. And I'm um, just here to clean up the mess at the end. I love that first scene with him where his like two young agents are like, can you believe this insane nonsense? And he's like, I think you should look into it because I know that this guy is for real. <laughs> Go learn your mm-hmm. lesson, children. Shoo shoo. <laughs> Great character reintroduction. National Treasure 2 takes place in an alternate reality where National Treasure 1 happened. And <laughs> yeah, because of that, every person is like totally a conspiracy theorist they're like every conspiracy (laughs) is right everything was proved right in national treasure one and so like the good guys the bad guys the fucking cops are all like of course i believe in cities of gold (laughs) this is why i think everyone is so mean to riley when he's like 
what if it's this that I found in my conspiracy book? And they're like, that's one step too far, Riley. <laughs> and then he's right. He deserves more times when he gets to be right. Riley got a win in a big way, though. Like, the titular book of secrets. <laughs> he was on it. He solved that part of the puzzle. He did. I love him. I do appreciate, though. I'm like... I appreciate, though, that there is this sort of credulity on everybody's part to these wild plots, because the alternative is the, I would say, somewhat tired trope of like, hi, hello, problems, help me. And then the person's like, you're ridiculous, not going to help you. And then they're proved wrong at the end. And then it all happens again, where someone's like, help me, problems, these things are happening and it's crazy. And they're like, you think I'm going to fall for this again? <laughs> and they're like, there's no trick. There was no trick the first time right. and there's no trick this time. And you're still being so difficult. Instead, he's like, he's like, no way. I totally get it. I, uh, yeah. I was wrong before and I'm on board now. I love how much Ben Gates is like, yeah, I think that's the solution. Let's go to Paris and look at that Statue of Liberty. Like, yes, let's fly across the world because I think that's the answer. Great suggestion. That's, uh, that French Statue of Liberty wasn't um, there at the time of the previous clue, and so that doesn't actually make any sense. Um, okay. But, um, what you're talking about I've always thought of as like the X-Files problem, which is that uh, in the X-Files, Duchovny is always like, I fully believe in weird shit. And then what's her name? Anderson is like, Scully. that's crazy. I don't think this was an abduction by aliens. I think it was a normal kidnapping. And it's like, okay, it's season one. I see why you think that. Then it turns out to be an abduction by aliens. And then in like season three, <laughs> Duchovny's like, I think cell phone towers are making people's heads explode if they travel under 60 miles an hour. And she's like, I choose to believe the <laughs> rational thing. And at that point, she's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say, like, I do really like there's a point in many of these issues where someone says, like, OK, I can believe in ghosts and poltergeists and this. But uh, this happens in Supernatural. Here it is. Like, I believe in ghosts and monsters, I and whatever, but I don't believe in angels. Those are not real. And you have to be like, what the fuck? Are you kidding? Like, after everything, <laughs> you just can't be open minded about just like everything, you'd think eventually you'd be like, I guess everything's real. Literally everything. <laughs> but this movie does do that a little. And I, 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 I get what you're saying, Annie, that it doesn't repeat the issue with Voight. It doesn't have Voight in the second movie and Kaitel in the second movie being like, you fucking kook treasure hunter. But what it does do <laughs> is it goes, oh no, we like, we pilled Voight so he believes everything now. So we have to bring in Helen Mirren. <laughs> I think it's important to note, though, that her issue is not, we believe this crazy shit, but that you're going to go hunting for it. Treasure hunting is her problem, right. not conspiracy <laughs> theories. Right. <laughs> um, I do think that she is dead in the first movie. Like, in a world where what? the second movie doesn't get made, <laughs> I think it was the intention of the screenwriters that she is dead in the first movie, and that Voight is a widower. And I think he gives a performance... <laughs> And Cage gives a performance that suggests that their mother slash wife died. And then in the second movie, they're like, but it'd be fun, though, right? If she and came then back. In hindsight, you're like, oh, they just are so estranged that they're like, it's like she's dead. Totally. It was a really bad divorce. I mean, who, who got custody? <laughs> I mean... I think Ben Gates was an adult. No, they say that they'd been, they hadn't seen each other in 32 years. 
Oh, my God. Well, then John Voight got custody, obviously. Right. Because they clearly have, like, a tighter relationship. Although there are moments in that movie where, like, the parents are doing parent stuff and Ben Gates has to be like, stop parenting. I am adult. (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) Solve the clues. Well, Diane Kruger cuts in, which, like, I would never do to a girlfriend's divorced parents. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine. She's like, can we just behave like adults and try to, like, like, you know how adults are always trying to solve little treasure hunts? Can we do that right now? I would never fucking do that. The, the little things they drop to be like, oh, no, the mom has always been there, where Kruger is like, I have a good relationship with your mom, and you should work on it, <laughs> is like, okay, you haven't seen, your mom and dad haven't seen each other in 30-some years, but you're, like, living with your dad, and you go visit your mom on weekends, and you are a 45-year-old man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, they do. It, the way, the fact that the two of them greet her as a, like, yeah. We're stopping by again. This thing that we do like every couple of weeks because we love you, mom. And she's like not really surprised to see them at all. She's surprised to see the dad. I wonder if both parents act like the other one is dead and that's just like part of their divorce (laughs) settlement. And so to be like confronted with each other is really hard to reconcile with how you live your life every other day. I want to once again talk about the Oceans movies. This has a lot in common with Oceans 12 and 13 in that fucking parent shit that they pull. Where in Ocean's 12, they do the joke that's legitimately funny, which is that one of Matt Damon's parents poses as someone trying to get him so that like when he's arrested or whatever, he gets off. I can't even remember what order it happens. Is 12 is his mom and 13 is his dad? Yeah, his mom works with the CIA, Uh I think it is. So when they like are internationally arresting them, yes, it's her arresting them and then she like breaks them out of cia prison and then the third one is that his dad works for the like gam like the like national like gambling board or what the people who who monitor gambling and fraud and which US. that is kind of lame because it's funny in 12 but then in 13 they're literally like same twist different parent everyone's got two parents doofus <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? I'm telling you, I love it every time. That's the kind of thing that really does work for me. The only thing that makes 13 like work for me is that in 11, when George Clooney meets Matt Damon, he says you're blah, blah, blah's son. And so they, they do pay a little bit of mm-hmm. credibility forward as to this guy being some sort of figure. Is 13 the one where Casey Affleck goes to work in the yes. dice factory yes. and then gets so caught up and that they, they can't achieve and what they, they were supposed to do? they become revolutionary? Yeah, that's... They start a labor strike in Mexico. I remember walking out of that movie being like, that's the only plot line that mattered to me. And now, like, 10 years later, it's the only thing I remember from 13. Not only do they get swept up in it, they fucking instigate it. Like, he's talking with his coworkers, and he's like, these conditions are awful. (laughs) Have we forgotten Zapata? (laughs) Like... We must the seize the means of production. <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a big defender. And also, can of... I put some weights in some of these dyes? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I also want to do a little bit of crime. But also, you guys deserve better. <laughs> while we're doing a little crime. I, uh, I'm a big defender of all three. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about the Oceans movies is in Oceans Eight. I'm connecting this to 
Helen Mirren, I think, being dead in the first movie, but then being alive in the second. In <laughs> okay. Ocean's 8, they finally do something that I at least have not seen done in any other movie, which is they couldn't get George Clooney back in any capacity, right? And so they have Sandra Bullock having the photo of George Clooney on her desk and, like, mourning him the whole movie. But they're also talking about how he's, like, a con man the whole movie. And at one point, I want to say Aquafina's like, oh, wow, like, your your brother's really, really cute. Is he alive? And Sandra Bullock goes, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, like, such a perfect bit of a studio being like, if we can bring him back, we will. <laughs> if he ever says yes, he's back. Uh, you know, I still haven't watched that one. It's okay. The hubris of choosing eight, assuming that you'll get three. <laughs> Because they didn't want to repeat numbers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they want eight, nine, ten. <laughs> well, unfortunately, American misogyny said that we can't have more Lady Ocean movies. Do I hate women if I didn't love it? (laughs) No, it wasn't the best movie. Like, it doesn't quite have the same magic of the, you know, of Ocean's Eleven. Kate Blanchett's super hot, though. Yeah. I mean, that, honestly, when I say, as an Ocean's fan, the secret subtext is also, as a queer woman who saw pictures of Kate Blanchett in Ocean's Eight and was like, I have to see this movie. Also, I need lots of skinny ties for myself now. (laughs) I was like, I gotta get more bejeweled suits. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks yep. insane and like being like who yep. is a who is the female brad pitt kate blanchett you're like oh yeah nailed it who is someone who is so got it in one just like blonde and unbelievably hot i was like crushing it you crushed it <laughs> so you know sandra bullock is female uh Female George Clooney is also. I think perfect. it's well cast, and I think Anne Hathaway as essentially the female Matt Damon character, who's like, "I'm here to have fun. I'm good at this." And they're like, "Okay, calm down." I'm a little bit of a goober. Yeah, and that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, it's a good cast. It's a perfectly good little heist. They do it in the Met, which was fun for me, a person who used to live in New York. You know, it's just not. It doesn't have quite the same magic to it, alas. I feel like people had the same angst when Ghostbusters lady version came out and people were like am i sexist if i hated it and people are like i mean is it even fair to compare them yeah but america does hate women so there's definitely part of that i have a question about one of the puzzles at the end i was gonna say do we have anything more on on the book (laughs) i have a question (laughs) yeah um and i think this is maybe i missed part of the plot while watching this movie while i was working and that's on me So they're on the tilt top table. Oh, right? such a good sequence. Uh-huh. Yep. Which is a great puzzle and a great sequence. And they have to balance it just right so they don't fall to their deaths. And they're like, okay, mm-hmm. now we have to balance it. So part of it tips up so you can jump onto a ladder. And then one of us mm-hmm. is going to have to stay behind. And this is the mm-hmm. price of the puzzle or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And Riley's mm-hmm. like, I'll do it. I get it. I'm not important. And they're like... Correct, you'll do it. <laughs> then they get to the point where they're tip-tabling, and eventually Nick Cage is like, no, no, Riley, you go. I'm going to stay. But then they all just manage yeah. to, like, like, A, why do they decide? Like, I mean, I'm very happy that Ben Gates is like, Riley, you matter to me. I don't want you to die in this horrible way. We'll figure <laughs> it out. You go. You're my sweet little friend. But I feel like I missed the point where there's, like, some element where they're like, no, Riley, you should go. And then they just are like, oh, there's a solution. Don't worry about it. And they roll a thing. Like it feels did I miss something there? It's it's super chaotic and I and I can't say that I have a full answer, okay. but there's also the step where um God, actor names, bad guy. 
Ed Wilkinson. Harris. Yes. Ed Harris. Ed Harris is like, I'm the first one off this tilty bullshit. <laughs> like, originally, they were like, they were like, Riley, you go first. And he's like, what? Oh, oh, okay. And then Ed Harris is like, no, it's me. And then he goes up, and you think he's abandoned them, and then he hasn't. Yeah, I thought he was going like, to cut he, like, that rope pulls, or some shit. He like is pulling everybody out, and. I mean, it, like, I think the plan is Nick Cage is staying behind, and then they just happen to find a gold <laughs> idol up there. Okay. And they're like, we can use this. We have a gold idol. We're going to throw it down. And, and in a pretty freaking implausible sequence, the idol will roll to the side that it right. needs to be. You'll switch places with it, and then you'll climb up the ladder. It's, yeah, it's... Okay. It's definitely right. a little. Ed Harris is learning below. the power of friendship on the fly, and that's what inspires him to <laughs> sacrifice himself at the end. Interesting. I okay. mean, it really seems like his motivations are like me first. Except, well, I guess I can pull you up off this ledge. <laughs> that's not going to inconvenience me too bad. And then, oh, actually, you know, we can help him. Sure, sure, let's do it. We may need him later for more clues. I mean, he also apologized, like when they finally get to the room of gold, he just sort of turns to Nick Cage and is like, I'm sorry I dragged you into all this. I didn't think you would help me if it wasn't your family's good name at stake. And and Ben Gates is like, hmm, reasonable. I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? All you had to do was say, Ben Gates, I think there's a fucking city of gold somewhere in the US. Help that me been find it. And he would have been like, yeah, of course. I am in. I'm a, that is the biggest. Honestly, that's the biggest plot hole to me. That he thought I need to antagonize, blackmail, and mm-hmm. then stalk mm-hmm. this man to get what I want instead of just being like publicly disgrace this man. <laughs> yeah. I, I do wonder that, like, so there's a whole plot line where Riley has written a book and everyone's like, oh, you're the treasure guy. You're Ben Gates, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not like yeah. Ben Gates was a well-known treasure hunter before he discovered the amazing treasure of National Treasure 1. Is that correct? That is correct. I think he was, I think he was no- Notorious Kook. Okay. Notorious Kook Got- was his title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now he's been vindicated and invalidated. Maybe Ed Harris just, like, didn't know that he was a notorious kook who could be easily asked to do these things. He only <laughs> knew him as a successful treasure hunter who was very serious and thought that he needed to do all this stuff. I just want to say <laughs> that as someone who studied directing for the stage in college, in which it was drilled into me that when directing in the round, you need to draw the diagonals on the stage so that all the corners are connected, and then at all times have your actors balanced as if by weight to keep like an interesting image Ooh. for everyone in the theater, I would have huh. slayed that puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> you were born to direct the tippy platform Absolutely. Scene. I would have been like... I mean, when you adapt <laughs> National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets to the stage... You are ready. <laughs> I would have been like yelling about mise en scène and like all this stuff. Like, it would have been great. Annie, I have a question well, for you as a costume person. Mm-hmm. Riley's giant puffy coat, good or bad? You know, it didn't distract me, so I don't have a, like the only time I really have like problems with costumes is if I can't stop thinking about them. But uh, rephrase. If I can't stop thinking about them because they're so goddamn good, like Kate Blanchett's suits in Ocean's Eight, that's good costuming. If it's what? Wait, what is 
what is going on? Like, what is wrong with that coat? Why does it look so weird? I'm not paying attention to what they're saying anymore. <laughs> but I'm also like fairly credulous with most, with most costumes. I like to, I, circling back to history buffs who can't enjoy history fantasy because they're so knowledgeable and persnickety about it. I like to let myself enjoy movies and, uh, there are like whole costume people forums where they're just like, can you believe they put a zipper in this period garment? And I'm like, y'all need to just <laughs> calm down. This is like, can't we have fun anymore? But I kind of, he's such a goofball that like <laughs> puffy coat Riley feels yeah. pretty, pretty solid. There were a couple moments when everyone else is like soaking wet and not wearing puffy coats and he has maintained <laughs> his puffy coat. And I was like, this seems like a very purposeful choice, either from a character perspective or from a costume perspective. And I, I don't know. I'm, in, I mean, I don't know. He's a puffy coat guy. You're right. He's, he's soft. He's a soft boy. I mean, if you're if you're talking like why wasn't he wet when everybody else was wet, that probably was either a mistake or <laughs> no. I think he's wet. He's just like still wearing his coat, which I would have immediately dunked. <laughs> like the moment it was like yeah, heavy like, underwater, I've been the like, I'm out of here. Now wet. <laughs> I'm done. I don't need it <laughs> personally. He could he could just be from the south and he's cold all the time. I mean, the thing about Riley, I hate to, I love him. He's one of the best sidekick guys in the world. I think mm-hmm. in like the world of movies, like he's one of the best. And I think, like, because Diane Kruger is, like, so competent and capable, which I love, in A National Treasure 3, like, the only damsel in distressing you can ever have is Riley. Like, whenever someone gets in trouble or gets kidnapped, it should be Riley forever. (laughs) And the fact that the movies don't do that constantly is, like, it feels like it should happen in 2, and if it doesn't happen in 3, I'll be really upset. National Treasure 1 kidnapping diane kruger makes no sense (laughs) they're like we need the constitution it's in her hand and they try for one (laughs) second to get out of her hand and they're like take the whole lady (laughs) it's such a hassle to have a hostage like just punch her like i don't want to say punch women (laughs) i'm not trying to say punch women but if it's like punch women versus kidnap and possibly kill women punch women (laughs) it honestly doesn't even really feel like kidnapping though it feels like them being like we want this we're trying to take it but it's not working we still want to take it and she's like well i'm gonna come with you if you're going to try to sure you're gonna have to steal us both and i'm just gonna tag along and fall in love with you right yeah I mean, her is like a manuscript expert where she's like, you can't treat this <laughs> yeah. document that way. I wish there was a little yeah. bit more of that in National Treasure 2 where she's like, I'm sorry, that's a historic document. Stop tossing it around. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> I love the moment in one where John Voight realizes it's the Constitution and like just basically has a heart attack. <laughs> the first- We get it again when it's, I'm going to kidnap the president. Yeah. Except... It- I do love the turnaround where he's where he like kind of alludes to what he's going to do, where he's like, I'm going to kidnap the president. And they're all like, (gasps) he goes, and I'm going to do it at Mount Vernon. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Why do you say it like that? Yeah, Yeah, that actually, you know, I'm going to make them think I kidnapped the president. And they're like, oh, well, that makes a lot more. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) 
does he have to send the president to the highway as opposed to being like, <laughs> you know, stay here. Let me drop you off at the front Go gates. back through where we came. They'll eventually get through. It's so weird that plan A is like, find a trucker, Mr. President. <laughs> I think plan A is the president walks down the highway. Plot twist, different terrorists kidnap the president while he's away yeah, from the yeah. Secret Service and set up a different set of events. It is legitimately dangerous. Like, I understand that maybe, I don't know, even in 2007, hatred of any particular president, no matter who was in office, was pretty high. Like, it was still pretty divisive back then. And I understand that this is a fun Disney movie. But, like, if you're the president walking down the highway and you're hitchhiking, there's like a... 15% chance you get a psychopath who hates you. Or even a very normal person who's like, wait a minute, this is my chance to do something really crazy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and to be like, I'll give you a ride, but at a cost, <laughs> I think is mm -hmm. what I would ask of the president. <laughs> um, if, I had, if I picked him up hitchhiking, I'd be like, I'd be happy to give you a ride. It would be my honor. But also you have to talk to me about stuff while we drive. And then I would love a tour of the White House. You know, like, I think that we have to consider that we are living in an alternate reality where A, perhaps 9-11 didn't happen. Mm. And so like things mm. are just in general cozier around America. And that mm -hmm. you can be an internationally wanted criminal and, like, fly places. Um, maybe no one's checking IDs quite the same way. And we just have a Bruce Greenwood president who's, like, lovely and warm, and we all love him. Who knows what political party he sits under, but we trust him. We like him. I don't think anybody hates that guy, you know? He, <laughs> he carries the gravitas of, like, a, a good middle-aged president, but he has that 13 days bleed over. So we think he's progressive like JFK, you know, like it's good. Greenwood goes, he, he goes villain, uh, in, uh, Gerald's game. But is there another Greenwood Gerald. performance where he's unsavory? I can't think of one. I mean, to me, he's always like a nice, good guy verging on a dad, you know? Right. And even in Gerald's game, he's just kind of like too horny with his wife. It's it's not like he's he's not like a murderer <laughs> yeah, or something. He loves too much. Yeah, sure. Do anything wrong. I think I think, and I have not seen this movie on personal moral grounds. I think in Kingsman Two, mm -hmm. he's also the president, but I think he's a bad guy. But I haven't seen the movie, and I could be wrong. I've chosen never to see Kingsman Two because I saw the last fifteen seconds of it which is just someone like smashing a beer glass, like a stein. And then my friend said, if you'd seen the whole movie, you'd understand that that was a joke about anal. And I just refuse to understand how that's true. I saw the first movie, which ends on a joke about anal. Oh, maybe that's the I one I saw. Very unpleasant huh. and distasteful. And I stood up and was like, we hated this movie, right? And the rest of the theater was like, we loved it. And I was like, I hate this place. <laughs> so I said, never again. Nothing can convince me to see the second one. And they were like, but Pedro Pascal is in it. And I was like, no. I'm staying strong. I don't care how hot he looks. I look like a cowboy with a whip. I'm not doing it. Wait, am I hearing this right? That both movies, that they're making it a thing that all movies end with anal jokes it seems it like, seems like man it won although and, he, and then apparently <laughs> the king's man which is the third one that's a prequel ends on like introducing yeah. hitler <laughs> 
as like a surprise mid-credits twist, Hitler's here, (laughs) which I cannot But you didn't see that coming. Hitler, Pass. the guy we didn't see coming. Another the- movie that they were like, don't you want to see this movie? Like, Reese Fons is in it. Your best friend Daniel Brühl is in it. And I was like, no, <laughs> you can't trick me again. <sighs> National Treasure 2, colon, Book of Secrets. What else so do we good. think is in the book? <laughs> what do we think is in the book? Oh, you mean the... I, I, mean, I thought you meant... The answer to the JFK assassination is in I the book. I thought you meant the junior oh, novelization. <laughs> oh. oh, well, that too, I guess. Um, yeah, what else is in the book? There's probably, I mean, in the National Treasure world, I'm not pitching an actual conspiracy theory. There's probably (laughs) moon landing stuff. Oh, for sure. Moon landing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is, what does Riley list off? Like JFK, the moon landing, uh... I would love it if D.B. Cooper was somehow condoned by the government. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. That would be cool. (laughs) Man, I would love, I hope National Treasure 3 does some... Area 51 stuff. That'd be fun if they were like, it wasn't aliens. It was a cover-up to hide a treasure. Wait, I want to to take stock of, at the the end, to wrap this up, I want to take (laughs) stock of all of the, like, what should be in National Treasure 3. Let's pitch a movie. Let's get a story credit. (laughs) We can can do that right now. I just want to say, Hannah, if you are craving a book with some Area 51 content, you are in (laughs) luck with this podcast. Because there is one oh. coming up. I think I just finished that book yesterday. Does it get better? I I don't know. <laughs> it's of the same quality all the way okay. through. So whether you like it or not is is up to you. Anywho, we'll talk about that when we talk about that. Annie Ulrich, what would you <laughs> put in National Treasure 3? Well, I mean, what we've talked about already, uh, I feel like there's there's like... The only character development left for our protagonists is some sort of like marriage arc for Ben Gates's mm-hmm. parents. Perhaps uh, just like a creative way to introduce marriage strife between him and well, okay, they're not married. Maybe marriage in their life. Mm-hmm. I would love a we've been dating for 20 years. Can we please get married already? They do have a rare opportunity with two couples to start a movie with one wedding and end it with another. Mm. Yeah. I would love that. Mm-hmm. Damsel in distress, Riley, please a hundred percent here for it. Maybe that even dovetails with like, and now Riley gets somebody. Yeah. He deserves maybe that. like his dad, like Ben Gates, dad has a lady. Ben Gates has a lady. And then Riley gets, I'm not going to speculate as to his, Sexual orientation. They've only hinted at straight. So <laughs> I don't far, think. I think those are pretty heavy. But that hints. was 2007. <laughs> you know, we live. We live. And in it's a Disney. More progressive and it was time. Disney, so. And Disney true. loves to just be like, yeah, that character is gay. Didn't you notice? <laughs> so who it's knows? It's LeFou. It was LeFou the whole time, everybody. <laughs> How did you not pick up on that? <laughs> um, aliens slash Area 51. Mm-hmm. I would be so tickled. We just got to have more like physical puzzles. Like the tilt top puzzle is mm-hmm. so good. I would love more mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, weight mm-hmm. games. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Make them a little bit more of documents an Indiana Jones. Fun, but I like that. Yeah. 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 We could have had it all. Because he really is just like what? the professor version of Indiana Jones right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, wait, Indiana Jones is a professor. That's what I mean. I see He's what more Andrew like the professor means, like, half of him. 
Ah, I not see. Not the adventurer yes. half quite as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give him a whip. Mm-hmm. Give him a hat. Hannah Blackman. Yes. Unless you have National Treasure 3 ideas. I'm about to give you a scenario. No, I think Annie covered all the points, and I really hope that's the movie they make, and I hope it comes out in 2024 and we all get to celebrate forever. <laughs> Hannah Blackman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You find yourself with a series of compatriots and one enemy standing <laughs> on a surface that must be balanced or else you will fall <laughs> to your horrible death. Yeah. The one person, yes, Siri just talked to me. The one person <laughs> who um who you hate on this platform, who you consider the villain of your piece, says to you that they are going to let you stay there and die unless you can recommend to them one movie, preferably a sequel, that they can enjoy before falling into oblivion. Would you recommend National Treasure, colon, Book of Secrets? I absolutely would. I think it it works as a movie without knowing a lot about the first movie if you watched it blind in this situation. I think it reflects the situation you're in. You know, I'm like, you know, maybe you could learn something from National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets about how we shouldn't all fall to our deaths. Uh, it's fun. I love it. Yeah, of course I'd recommend it. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Take the torch, Anna. Me? Yeah. Okay. Annie, you are... <laughs> Sort of the third wheel in a relationship of people who maybe know more about the topics you sometimes adventure in than you do. But you're a smart person who has your own skills. When does set. that happen? <laughs> <laughs> when does that ever happen to me? Good time. Look, you're a smart person with your own skill set and you know a lot of things too. And the three <laughs> of you are out solving puzzles, looking up clues, and you come across a clue that says recommend a movie that has a book in the title. And your compatriots are like, we don't know anything about that. Oh, no. And you say, I do. Would you recommend National Treasure Book of Secrets? Oh, 100%. I, you, you nailed it, everything you said. It's a solid, it's solid as a sequel. It's solid as a movie by itself. It is a good time from start to finish. You are taken along for that ride, and you are loving every second of it. Plot holes be damned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Andrew Overby. Hello. You are plotting to kill the president of the United States. The year is 1865. (laughs) I started this wrong. I don't know if this is going to work. I think it's extremely cohesive so far. Okay. All right. All right. Hold on. You, in your scheme to kill the president and many of his cabinet members and also restart a civil war that has been tearing apart your country for years, you've decided you need to go talk to some guy about some puzzle that you're also kind of working on. Mm -hmm. And you go to this guy and he says, look, I'll help you solve the puzzle, famous actor John Wilkes Booth. But first, like, can you recommend like a play that's coming up that you think would be fun that like, I don't know, maybe there's like a story going on that reflects some puzzle stuff. I love puzzles. Would you recommend National Treasure Book of Secrets? I would. Did I do it? Does that work? I think that works. (laughs) I would absolutely (laughs) recommend National Treasure Book of Secrets, uh, especially if someone enjoyed the first film. I think that there are certain things that are much better about this film. And I think there are certain things that don't work quite as well. On balance, I like it 
more than the first one. And the reason behind that is, as I've said before, I think there's fresh character arcs in this. It allows the characters to really exist in a sequel where they are embarking on another chapter of their lives that the first movie didn't cover. I do think that even though Hannah made a heroic attempt to summarize (laughs) the plot and how it all actually makes sense, I don't think the movie does a terrific job of imparting those connections to the viewer. And for that reason, I think that one aspect is a little inferior to the first. On balance, fun movie. I'll definitely rewatch it. As a guy that loves his Nick Cage, this is just another brick in the wall. All right, Annie Ulrich, thank you so much for coming on to Authorize. Thank you. It was so wonderful oh. having you. We'll get you on a James <laughs> Bond book when we read Golden uh, That's that's for you. I'm ready. Uh, Hannah, what's I'm ready. the what's the author what's the, like a Bond author you're actually crazy about? Everything that's been written like post two thousand seven. Uh-huh. Is pretty good. Okay. Like, none of them are movie novelizations, but, like, the non of the non-Flemings. The recent stuff's pretty solid. There's just, like, the 90s fucking sucked. So the movie novelizations are kind mm. of a wash, in your opinion. Uh, maybe the GoldenEye one is good. I haven't read it. Mm-hmm. We'll still um, do one. And honestly, but... there's, some, there's some funny 70s books that are, like, Roger Moore adventures that I think are not novelizations. They're just, like, new Bond adventures that are very much starring Roger Moore. Um, though there might be a view to a kill one that I haven't read either. That might be fun. I don't know. I think f- eventually I realized that the non Flemings were not very good and I stopped seeking them out on the whole. Right. So that's until the authorized pod- podcast started and we like started forcing you to read them again. Yeah. Yeah. You forced me to read a lot of things. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Annie, nothing to plug specifically, right? Like people hitting you up for work or anything. We're locked up in NDA land here in Los Angeles, I'm afraid. Is it cool? Is it worth it? I guess I meant people requesting work from you, but you can't do that either. Oh, oh, no, I, I take private private work on if you need a suit made. How do people find you? Of- oh, um, you can just look me up on my website, annieulrich.com. Um, spelling hopefully will be clarified in the podcast. Absolutely. So you could make me a Kate Blanchett suit, is what you're saying. I could do for yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, That'd well, be like a little I mean, bit of coin. I bet. Obviously, <laughs> of course. She's a skilled I say, worker. Fair, well, fair warning. Uh, a thing you can get a lot of costume makers started on is a. Uh, people not understanding how much things cost because we live in a fast fashion society and people are like shirts cost $20 and you not say, when they're made by hand I mean technically they're all made by hand but when they're made like at one per minute by sweatshop workers overseas then it's right. a little different than I apologize me. to the sweatshop workers that was inconsiderate of me they work hard oh no it's it's brutal it's a brutal <laughs> That I could, I mean, a whole different podcast talking about the injustices of the fashion industry and how how a lot of things are messed up because of it. But uh, yeah, no, I believe in custom-made garments. I believe in recycling garments. Hit me up if you want to hear more about my strong opinions on clothes. You're going to have, <laughs> like, you know, 40 requests for Kate Blanchett Ocean's 8 dresses. <laughs> um if I was responsible for bringing more women styled like Kate Blanchett into existence, that would be a 
I would feel like I have done my part in that's meaningful society. work yeah. in the world. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 100%. All right, dear listener, I think after many, many episodes, I finally figured out how to end this show. Uh, just a, a fun quote that I found about uh, recommending movies of all things. Movie recommendations are transmitted through direct contact, such as through broken skin or mucous membranes in the eyes, nose, or mouth with saliva or brain nervous system tissue from an infected cinephile. People usually get... <laughs> Recommendations from the bite of a cinephile. It is also possible, but rare, for people to get recommendations from non-bite exposures. So just look out whenever you're around one. Good night.